if you look at that race, they look at the results and because, and I'm saying this because it's kind of ridiculous to think that I can out sprint Corey Williams. I mean, he's like, he's national champ and he's a sprinter and he races. <laughs> but if we, if I went outside and tried to race him, there's no chance that I would, that I would beat him. Um, but you know, the same is, is, should be said, like he's coming into my domain and to think that he could outstrip me is ridiculous. <laughs> From KOM Cycling and Michigan Midpack Media, welcome to the Dirty Chain Podcast, the podcast that covers the cycling scene from the view of the Michigan Midpack. I'm your host, Trevor. And this is Sheldon. And on this episode, we talk to Zwift National Champion, yes, that's right, Zwift National Champion, Holden Camo. Another national champion? Another national champion. This I don't know. This puts us up to like three, um, maybe four next time. I'm not sure. But uh, so, Sheldon, uh, I love this conversation that I had with Holden Camo. Um, you know that I'm a little partial to Zwift. I've been using it a lot for uh, workouts, but lately I've been racing on Zwift. And I have to thank my brother Brady for um, getting me in contact with Holden Camo. He's known him for a few years. But um, Holden, yes, he is the Zwift national champion for 2019. But we just had a really cool conversation about him as an athlete and how Zwift just fits his uh, lifestyle and personality perfectly. But before we hear that conversation, Sheldon, how was your week in the mid-pack? It has been a great week. Uh, we finally got some beautiful weather here in Michigan, as I'm sure most of our listeners are aware of. Uh, we did get a little rain, but man, between the rain, it has been nice. Summer is here in Michigan. Yeah, actually, we're, we're, we are recording this on Memorial Day, which is kind of like the unofficial start to summer. And it was perfect. It was like 82 degrees. Sun was out all day. Now, Sheldon, you sound very positive about your week of the mid-pack. And <laughs> so I'm assuming that you've been able to get out there and get some rides in? Yeah, I've I've gotten like probably three good rides in this week. Nice. And not, not including like commuter miles to work. And uh, actually went out and, and twice I've gone out to Rose Lake and did a little bit of single track on the gravel bikes. Very good. Um, now, now, I don't mean to interrupt, but I do believe I saw that you were riding something a little different. Yeah, the all-city nature boy is in the stable. New bike week? New bike week. Uh, yeah, my uh, my all-city single-speed gravel bike is here. I... Uh, I rode it stock for two rides, and then last night I uh, uh, cracked a Miller High Life Tall Boy and got to work of uh, swapping tires nice. around. I, I, I put the uh, the WTB Nanos that I rode at Iceman; uh, those went in it, and are they still 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 muddy? Uh, oh yeah, they they still have mud on them. <laughs> um, but uh, 
those tires that were like rubbing on the frame of my state, there is just so much room in this all city. Uh, we were looking at it this afternoon and, uh, even though it says, I think it's like max is like 42 or 45. There's no way like they can go way bigger than that. So besides tire clearance, now your all city, your new all city, it's steel, correct? Yep. And was the state or is the state steel as well? No, the state's aluminum with this, a carbon fork. Uh, this one's steel with a carbon fork. So, but what are the big takeaways between the differences between the two? Because they're kind of on paper, they're similar single speed bikes. Yeah. Uh, well, a huge weight difference. Um, all city uses their ACE uh, tubing. Uh, I'm not. I'm not super fine tuned into the uh, what it means, but I know it makes a very light steel bike. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's light, but man, it the ride is just so supple and just on gravel. It and especially now that I put those forties on, it just glides. That's fantastic. Well, very yeah. cool. Congratulations on new bike week. Thank you. I um I got a big ride in. Uh, a couple, you got a huge ride. I got a huge ride in. A few of us went to preview the uh, Barry Roubaix Psycho Killer 100. Now, this is the second time that I've ridden this in the past few months, but I have to tell you, it still reveals some secrets each time. <laughs> I mean, holy cow, was it difficult. And I don't know if it was the 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 weather was a little warmer than before, or it's or I just plain forgot how difficult it was but man it was well, there there was some added water uh from the rain we've been getting yeah from all the rain and there's the flooding like i knew there's there's one spot on the uh on the 100 route but also the 62 route that um always floods and i think this whole year it's been flooded and i was ready for that that's way towards the end but there were two other water spots that kind of surprised us and we just had to walk over <laughs> walk through it ford it in sheldon style <laughs> yeah where, where, how high up the, uh on you was the water um i think for those two it didn't quite go waist high it wasn't too bad okay, um, maybe not, maybe mid thigh that's not t- terrible but i mean uh i mean in a hundred mile ride though i mean having a a wet chamois is not always the that is most not, awesome. That is not fun. But but I just, I love that course. Matt Acker did a great job of designing this thing. And it just, I think we talk, we've talked about this before. It, it It's missing the uh, three sisters and it's missing the original Sager Road section that, that um, is so popular in Barry Roubaix. But what it gives you is this whole other... Uh, uh, just punch after punch after punch of these very difficult uh, segments that just zap all the energy out from you, and then you still have another 50, 60 miles to go. So, so it's living it's living up to the psycho killer namesake now. One hundred percent, one hundred percent. So uh, I would I still want to try to get out there, Sheldon. I think you need to get out there um, yep. before October. But man, it was a fun time. It was a really, really good ride. I know that some other events, some other rides are going on currently. Um, notably, it's Memorial Day, and uh, 
it, there was supposed to be a ride on Memorial Day last year, Sheldon. You did this ride, and mm-hmm. you actually rode from Lansing to Ann Arbor <laughs> to do this ride. And this is the Bloom One Hundred. Yeah, the Bloom One Hundred, or also known as the Bloom Two Thirty. <laughs> <laughs> the sheldon distance yeah (laughs) yeah uh no so this is uh an event that's put on um by our friend nick snago who's been on the show and uh it's bloom is a metery in the ann arbor area uh that it starts at and part of the route goes through their orchards uh it is a fantastic ride it's not a race it's not you know there's no official timing there's no entry fees it's Show up, have fun, ride bikes. Is it all gravel? Is the course all gravel or mostly mm-hmm. gravel? Uh, it, mostly, it's it. It's I'd say it's a good seventy-five percent gravel. So for this year, because of everything, of course, they have moved it into a solo event, and they kind of did a cool thing. You could still sign up for it on Bike Reg or Reg and. Um, it's uh, it's a, just still it's free, but they give you the course and you go out and um, and ride that event or that route by yourself. Now, speaking of Nick Stanko and Bloom and Bloom, we've had somewhat of a ongoing mystery here at the Dirty Chain Podcast. And um, if you are familiar or if you're not familiar, um, a few episodes ago, a few well, more than a few episodes ago, we've had a, a, an ongoing joke where um, Sheldon loves his White Claw beverages, and I think it's ridiculous. And so we made a joke about having something cross-stitched that would say no effing White Claw. Just made a passing joke. And then one day in the mail with no return address... And no uh, name attached to it. We actually received a cross-stitched, um, what would you call it? Pitch, uh, like pitch. a needlepoint. Uh... Yeah, yeah. We are needlepoint cross-stitch. I don't know what the correct terminology is. Crocheted. I, I, I know it's not crotcheted. <laughs> yeah, it's not crotcheted. But we received in a frame one of the uh, a needlepoint um, picture that says no effing white claw. It's amazing. We've put it up on Instagram. You can check it out. But it'll probably it'll probably find its way back up even on this episode. It de- definitely will. Since then, we have also received separate clues, <laughs> strips of paper that are a picture of someone holding this sign, this no effing white cloth framed picture. Um and every couple weeks or so, we get another clue, and we get another clue, and we get another clue. And side note, and then your dog eats the clues. Yes, and then my dog has eaten two of the clues. So, <laughs> a few months ago, before all the COVID happenings hit, uh, you and I were talking, and and we were looking at the clues, trying to figure out where this these pictures were taken that the clues were were made from, and. Uh, and we did a little Googling, a little sleuthing, and we realized that the picture was taken in Bloom in Ann Arbor. Yep, right in the tap room. So we put two and two together, and we thought, well, it's got to be Nick Stanko. Nick Stanko has 
made this thing happen. He sent us no effing white claw picture, and um, he's sending us these clues. We have assumed so. Um, so we, we we assume so. We were gonna have a whole journey to Bloom and take a picture in Bloom and with the sign while we with, drank some mead. Yeah, and then boom, everything closed down. We couldn't do it. Um, couldn't travel, couldn't go to restaurants, so we kind of put that on hold. But the clues kept coming. Week after week, we would get another clue, another clue from, assumingly, Nick Stanko. And then this morning, it's Memorial Day today, <sighs> and Bloom would have been today, but now it started today. Um, this morning, we were tagged on Facebook and on Instagram with Nick Stanko's picture holding... A similar cross-stitched frame that said "Drink Bloom," so no effing white claw slash drink bloom, and I feel like that was his end game. To- I, I I I feel like we need this next one to hang next to the no effing white claws in the studio. I'm hoping that that makes its way to us. Yes. Yes, that that will put such a smile on my face to yeah. be able because we uh, when Nick was on, he brought uh, some of the meads and they are. They're trouble. One, they're strong. <laughs> they're delicious. <laughs> but, they, but they're delicious. Yeah, for sure. So thank you, Nick. I, I don't think we know the whole story. I think we need to get the story from Nick about um, – and if we – I kind of feel like we just bored everyone with this Jai Long story. But, <laughs> but yeah. But it, was, it amused us. So, yeah. So we will post a, uh, a picture of the cross-stitched or, or – needlepoint or whatever you call it um framed thing of the no effing white claw we'll we'll post that again we'll post a few of the clues that i still have that my dog has not eaten we'll post the the clues and then the picture of of nick um with the drink bloom and um and then maybe i don't know maybe nick will call in or maybe we can zoom in with nick to get kind of his side of the story and uh we know he had fun doing this we know he had fun yes but if you are in the ann arbor area or close to that area um and you're hearing this within um, the couple days that we release this, uh, go check out the, the Bloom Ride. And um, I, I'm pretty sure that you can get takeout or, or, or curbside takeout from Bloom. So support your yeah, local... Go in, go in there and tell them that you want no effing White Claw, <laughs> you want Bloom. <laughs> Perfect. So um, a few other events that have been happening recently within the last week or so we've been hearing a lot of uh, these solo challenges strava challenges Ooh, we could talk about strava maybe we'll hold on to that but uh there's been a few other notable events and happenings within the last week or so a lot of people have been doing everest challenges we saw professional cyclist rebecca rush organized this what she's calling the giddy up challenge sheldon have you seen some of this yeah it's all over social media happening all over north america including in our own backyard uh friends of the show uh matt acker and jill martindale they went out and did it together they did a uh, uh half everest yeah half everest if you're unfamiliar with this uh the giddy up challenge is an everesting challenge now if everesting is you find one long hill you ride up that hill 
ride down that hill and ride up that hill until you reach the total elevation of Mount Everest, of ascending Mount Everest. Now, for this, you could do a full Everest. You could do half of the um, of the elevation of Mount Everest, and there were some other ones um, under that. Now, I think Sheldon, they did they did half Everest, correct? Yeah, they, yeah, they did a half Everest. Which I am, I mean, even that for Lower Peninsula, Michigan, that's pretty impressive <laughs> yeah the, the, getting you know fifteen thousand feet of climbing in lower michigan is not an easy task <laughs> not at all but i saw like people all over the country were participating this uh doing yeah full... leah wilcox did it and wherever she did her climb that's impressive to get a full everest in only 13 climbs holy cow yeah sheldon are you ever interested in Everesting? That is not high on my list. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there will be some point that uh, it, it will be one of my poor decisions. But uh, as of right now, oh, at least not around here, it's, you know, doing a hundred repeats of a hill sounds terrible. Yeah. I mean, and Everesting is kind of a super popular thing lately. I mean, you saw Phil, yeah. Phil Guyman just broke a record um, then lost seen, the record. And then lost it to uh, Keegan Swenson. And, uh, but yeah, a lot of people are doing this uh, Everesting challenge or, or, or trying to do these uh, Everest attempts, probably mostly because there, there's really nothing else to do. But <laughs> What about you, Trevor? Is it on your list? It is not on my list. I am not interested at all. But the reason <laughs> I really wanted to bring this up is uh, not because it's just another event that people are doing, but because um, it is also attached to fundraising for a very good cause. Now, I know that mm -hmm. they, they use that event to raise money for the Be Good Foundation for COVID Relief. So chapeau to Rebecca Rush for putting this together and everyone that participated in the Giddy Up Challenge. Now, Sheldon, a, a friend of the podcast, a friend of ours, Tom Keller from Illinois, also put together an event to raise money for uh, local bike shops in his area, and he called in to tell us a little bit about that event. So why don't we listen to what Tom Keller put together over in Illinois? So let's hear it from the man with the mutton chops. Hey, Trevor and Sheldon, Tom Keller checking in from Central Illinois. Long-time listener, first-time caller. Uh, in a recent episode, you guys asked what I was doing or what we were doing to keep competition and rides going right now. And uh, I've been listening to a lot of episodes and was inspired by uh, Stanko and Acker, uh, Gravel Worlds, uh, Kansas City Cyclists. And we have a new series in Central Illinois called the Ride Solo Series. So it has four routes, and we have over 30 riders now and raised close to $1,000 for local bike shops. So that can be checked out at comteller.com. Let's play off my name and the Strava uh, title that everyone wishes to hold. Um, so it's been great for our Central Illinois community, keeping competition and rides. We have people who are new to gravel, new to adventure riding, and then other racers who are out there trying to uh, one up each other and talk smack online. So it just gives us something to look forward to. So 
I appreciate all the speakers that you guys have had on. The episodes are super entertaining. I listen to them on my rides, and it's also great ideas that kind of helped us uh, spawn this idea here in central Illinois. So keep up the good work, and once racing starts back, I'll be crossing over the border from Illinois to Michigan, and I'll see you guys in the mid-pack. Thanks, bros. We also had a few other listeners call in recently to the podcast, and as we promised, those listeners who called in will receive a brand new KOM trainer block. Thank you for the first callers that called in, supporting the show, and to show our appreciation, you get your free KOM trainer blocks. Let's hear from them. Hello, hello. This is Michael from Wisconsin. I like to call myself a mid-pack. Uh, pack fill is a better name for it. Anyways, I don't have a race to say that I was in, but I do uh, have just a quick, big, gigantic thumbs up for the Iditarod 2020, the number 25 Dirty Chain podcast. That was awesome. Really appreciate it. It was fun to listen to and uh, appreciate it. Keep up the great work. Cheers from... Cheeseland, Wisconsin. Later. Greetings, mid-packers. This is Gino Torrio calling from Toledo. It's kind of a suburb of Michigan, so I, I'm listening to you guys. Anyway, I came across you after the uh, 2019 Mud Man. Um, just relatively new to cycling and started getting into it i'm a recovering fat guy and workaholic but uh for this quarantine all my michigan trails are cut off i used to love going up to dte and pato but with the local use only i'm having to uh stay in the flatlands of northwest ohio so that's kind of a drag using the trainer and that kind of thing but uh but looking forward to getting back out there so anyway, thanks for doing your thing. It's uh it's kind of fun to listen and all my all my uh races I'm looking forward to doing hopefully we'll we'll come back around eventually. Hey Dirty Chain Boys, Tristan Smith here. Wanted to give you guys a shout out and let you know the podcast has been great in helping me feel connected to my fellow gravel grinders through these crazy times um, and give you another shout out for the page at KOM Cycling it is looking sweet with the merchandise looking sick so keep up the good work um, the first thing I'm doing to stay sane in these times is a little thing called hashtag DIY gravel where I've gone out and ridden the same distances that I would have in the honor of the events that I would have been participating in that day. Um, so I hit up a century for the Barry Roubaix Psycho Killer, and then instead of Hellcat Hundy Sunday, I went out on a Wednesday after work and knocked out a quick century um, and finished up in the dark, so that was pretty fun. Um, the second thing I'm doing to fill my calendar void is challenge myself to push a little bit harder. Um, this last week I went out and did the Thursday night gravel ride um, and just pushed myself a little bit 
to see how fast I could do it and I plan on doing it again week over week um, just to see see how I'm doing um, the one thing I'm missing most is riding with you guys and my other friends it's been pretty tough just going out there by myself and doing the doing these challenges but um, I'm definitely looking forward to some parking lot beers after we get through all this so uh, stay safe and see you on the other side Again, thank you for calling in and uh, be on the lookout. We will send you a code for the free trainer block and you will be um, able to use that on the KOM website, which also has part of our brand new website if you haven't checked that out already. Now, Sheldon, if I was going to ask you one of the top reasons to train on an indoor trainer with something like Zwift, what would you be? What would you think one of the the top reasons to use Zwift would be? Uh, I would say, well, being that we're Michiganders, to stay out of the cold. Okay, stay out of the cold. I th I think you're. That's a good good point. Um, convenience. Convenience. Uh, you, you, you can ride, you know, safe at night without you know worrying about getting hit by a car. Mm -hmm. Uh. A Zwift crash in a race is uh, a little safer as they don't exist. <laughs> <laughs> These are all great points. I mean, before I went in this conversation with Holden Camo, I kind of viewed Zwift as an alternative to riding outside, but all in all, using it as a tool to eventually get outside, right? That's kind of how yeah. you would see Zwift. Yeah, it's just a, another form of training that you can implement at home. Holden describes kind of a whole different perspective on this, not using Zwift as a means to an end to get outside, but using Zwift as the end, as the main source for his racing, for his training, etc. And I thought that was just a really cool perspective and a cool way to look at what Zwift can be for not only him, but for so many people. Holden takes us through his progression as an athlete from swimmer to professional triathlete, and now to, surprisingly, a Zwift racer. He talks a little bit about the techniques he uses within Zwift and also within his bike setup, trainer setup, and he shares a little bit about what the future might hold for Zwift and indoor racing. Ladies and gentlemen, Holden Camo. How has this whole thing kind of like thrown a wrench into your, um, I guess your, your whole life. I mean, in terms of training and then just your regular day job, are you usually pretty flexible or has this whole quarantine thing kind of made you be even more flexible? Wait a second. I just, before I answer that, <laughs> I'll go into detail. I, it sounds to me as though we're already on the record and recording. Is that true? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, we, we don't we won't have like a and now joining us is you know we won't do one of those things. So. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> just wanted to, just wanted to understand the format. Now it's all working. Yeah, for sure. Um, no, it's all good. So the, the 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 reason I have been able to do what I've done with Swift Racing is 
is is uniquely because it it fits so well into my life and and it's like it's interesting because that is in stark contrast to how i've always how i have historically worked sport into my life you know when i was I feel like this is my third athletic career i was a swimmer through college then a triathlete um and in both of those first two instances athletics were sort of like central to my life everything revolved around athletics and now it's completely different i have family i started a business eight years ago those things are definitely um the priority and everything else sort of revolves around that or sport at least revolves around around that it's sort of a secondary thing and um i think uh, it, it i guess what i'm getting at it's like i think that's the way to be at your best i think that was the mistake i had always made before where i had given so much and made so many sacrifices because sport was always the priority and i neglected like all the other things that make life amazing before i think that actually although i was well-intentioned and trying to you know be the best athlete i could be i think ultimately that made me a uh uh you know uh just it wasn't as optimized then and now because my life has so much more and sport is this extra thing i think the irony in that is that i feel as though i've never been as good of an athlete i i, I know i mean it's not even i not even a subjective sense that I've never been as good of an athlete. I, it's, I've got hard data. <laughs> I'm stronger than I've ever been on the bike. It's, it's kind of, kind of amazing. Um, I mean, what, how that, how I've worked that into, um, I've worked like racing into, into my life, I guess is like it, I, I only had the mornings before the kids wake up to do a workout you know it's like the only time i could consistently have to myself to to actually go do some type of workout um and i just started doing that on zwift uh like three years ago in, and it was only in the winter um whenever it was warm enough i would run outside i was really running all the time for like ever when i retired from triathlon that was like eight years ago ten years ago maybe um i had I had only been running primarily. It was like six years of running, and then I sort of discovered Zwift and went Zwift in the winter. And I stopped running. Like, like most and again, people. it was just in right. the morning. Right. You yeah. know, it's because I don't want to go outside. Of, um, uh, and the first year, I think, of Zwift, I wasn't really into the races. I was sort of just poking around and going after, like, KOMs here mm-hmm. and there. Um, but then I discovered the racing thing and like, I guess for like two seasons, I was not affiliated with any group or team, just sort of going out solo and joining races. I would follow the, uh, the kiss racing team around, just like mm-hmm. they'd been like one of the largest teams originally and wherever those guys would race, I would just follow them into those races. Um, and then leading into last year, I joined this team formed, or formerly known as Indoor Specialist Team formed, and um, kind of went from there. But really, it hasn't required too much of a sacrifice or disruption into the rest of my life. Occasionally, there'll be like a pro-am race that I'm 
that I'm in that is held like or scheduled in the afternoon um, because usually like around two, three o'clock in the afternoon is when they can fit in the most time zones realistically. Mm-hmm. Um, two, three East, East Coast time. Um, occasionally that would happen and I would just sort of schedule those days around my, my work, my work day. Um, but for the most part, it's just early morning races before the kids wake up and I'm done. So it hasn't, hasn't really changed. I mean, even though you've been at it for three years and then you've started to, uh, competitively race, um, pretty seriously, it hasn't really changed a lot in terms of time commitment. Is that what you're telling me? Yeah, I don't think so. I would say that I'd probably, I feel like the extra time I've put in is sort of immaterial. Um, I would, but you know, that's sort of relative. I'm probably in doing like an hour or two more per week than I did three years ago on the bike, just Mm -hmm. because, um, there's just more time to race and really I just enjoy it, but it's, you know, I'm still, I think I probably, I haven't looked at my training time at least lately, but definitely average like under, under 10 hours a week, probably eight, eight to 10 hours of total ride time every week. So it's not like a crazy amount. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that, uh, I mean, you hit a lot of this stuff right out the bat that I wanted to ask you about, like how you got into it and, uh, what, um, kind of what the introduction or what drove you into indoor training, which sounds like convenience. And that's what we hear from so many people is uh, Zwift or, or trainer road or whatever, anything on the indoors is a lot more convenient for, um, for everyone. So whether that's because of weather or because of family situations, and it sounds like it's, it continues to be convenient for you, even though you're racing at a pretty high level. Yeah. I mean, that definitely, um, was, it was a big part of the introduction for me. I think the reason why I continue with it and, and maybe, yeah, maybe I'd qualify like the motivation now to keep on going at the level that I am going. Cause it, it doesn't feel difficult for me at all to make the kind of commitment that I'm making. And I think probably for um, some riders uh, who, who are, you know, thinking about, racing at the top tier of Zwift racing, that could be kind of a challenge if you don't totally love it. Or if you are, if you're um, coming at it from this perspective of like, this is something that I'm, that I do out of just convenience, but I also love to ride my bike outdoors. And I, you know, I'm, I've got an outdoor season that I, that I contest every year. Um, for me, it's like, I, I don't really care about doing anything other than riding on Zwift. I, I don't have, I don't have any ambitions to ever like race outside. Um, you know, I'm not really interested in doing anything like that. So, um, uh, it's, I'm sort of on, it's convenient, but I'm also undistracted and don't have anything else that I'm super interested in. And, um, that kind of has, I think that's been a big component of what's, um, sort of allowed me to, to, get to rise up into the top tier and to have a lot of success. Cause I'm just, I don't have anything else. I guess. So that is a, a, a question though, because for so many people, especially right now, Zwift is the only option and, and it is a convenience thing and it is a, well, I don't have anything else to do. So I guess I'll do Zwift. But for you, this was something that you were doing before uh, you were forced to. And, um, 
and it is something that excites you and keeps your uh, interest. Um, and this might be too hard of a question to, to answer, but what is it about Zwift that keeps you interested and keeps you motivated? I love that question. Uh, there is, uh, uh, I could probably go into depth and like talk forever about 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 why it's kind of perfect for me and my personality. I think just like if I were to bullet point that answer, um, I would say I've always liked to play video games, and that aspect that aspect of Zwift really resonates. Um, there's this, there's a sense if, it would, if you're a video gamer, I'm sure you, you, people would understand this when you're, when you're playing video games, there's a sense of like mastery and improvement, um, almost as though you're sort of putting some puzzle pieces together and you're learning how to play the game and get better at it. Um, and that comes with experience and um, they're sort of just like stepping stones in video games that allow you to measure your progress really quickly. And Zwift is no, no different. That video game aspect, that feedback that you get that tells you that you are actually getting better at playing the video game um, is been something that I've been attracted to in the past playing other video games and definitely is part of why I stay stay focused on Zwift just because I enjoy it. I enjoy the video game piece of it. I think a lot of that um, also connects to, to, to what it means to be an athlete. You know, I've, I've been doing that my whole life, trying to improve upon things. Um, so that translates to the, the, the video game piece, that athletic mindset that's there. Um, the piece that gets me, uh, there's an, I think professionally speaking, what I do in my career, I, um, I run a data analytics company and the chief technology officer, I deal with data and analysis all day long. There's a ton of data, interesting performance data attached to Zwift that I love to, um, look at and understand. So I think that professional connection that was part of why I discovered Zwift actually speak from professional reasons. My business partner introduced me to the platform from a data perspective. Um, so that's there that kind of keeps my focus. Um, the camaraderie of being on a team is one of those bullets. Um, my teammates are incredible. I've met, um, three, that's not true. I met four of the guys on my team in real life. Uh, one of them I know fairly well, but only because I knew him from back in the day. He was a triathlete. Three of the other guys I never met before joining the team and have subsequently met, but only once in person. The rest of the guys I don't know. There's 13 of us on the team. Um, and it's funny. It's like I would consider all of them to be my closest friends right now. Sure. It's a really random that um, that – I have these really close friends who I've never met in person, but because we spend such an intimate moment together almost every day, racing our bikes and talking to each other because we communicate and talk on, on, a, on a chat server, voice chat. Um, and then we spend all day long texting in a group chat with each other. Um, they're all really close friends and they keep me motivated. And that's, that's, a, that's an interesting, unique thing. Um, I would say that I hadn't had that camaraderie in my life prior to Zwift. You know, the last time I was part of a team and had so many close supportive friends was when I was in college on a swim team, you know, and ever since then 
I've had close friends, but not that type of like like-minded community who are all collectively trying to trying to do something, um, you know, um, to support each other. And it's just, that's a big part of what keeps me going for sure. Yeah. Um, can we back up a little bit? Um, you've, you've mentioned, uh, swimming and, and, and triathlons. Can you just kind of tell us a little bit about your background in athletics? So so I, I started as a swimmer, um, and I came into swimming a little bit late, um, for, um, elite level swimmers. I started, um, like I really sort of bloomed as a swimmer in my sophomore, junior year in high school. That's a little late. Um, I think typically elite swimmers start when they're much younger and they're sort of on that, that sport path for a while. Um, but I think that's relevant that I started so late, um, because I think that's why I, I ultimately finished swimming and then was eager to keep going after that. I look at a lot of my peers who I swam with, um, and I, I think I think like the persona of a of a college athlete in general um, is sort of one where if you're not coming out of college and you don't have a career as a pro, you're sort of uh, beat down, and that's like the end of things because you've put so much into it and you're so tired and there's no more future opportunities um but that wasn't the case for me i came out of college and i definitely had this feeling like i want to keep going with sport um but ran out of options in swimming i I went i mean to the olympic trials so i I swam at penn state i was nc all-american um uh three times i was the captain of the of the team um my senior year and then went to Olympic trials the summer after my senior year. So sort of in 2000, so it was timed sort of perfectly that at the peak of my collegiate swimming career as a senior, then finished my collegiate swimming, went to Olympic trials right after that in 2000. I finished like 35th in the 200 freestyle, which is my event and had to be top six to make the Olympic team. Yeah. So it was like, that was it. And there was, that was, I think Phelps went to the Olympics that year. I think he was like 14 and, and he swam one event, but this was, this, that's relevant because it was pre Phelps, uh, which meant that like there, if you didn't make the Olympic team before Michael Phelps came along, there wasn't really any, there wasn't anywhere to go. You weren't going to be a, a pro swimmer. But um, that has sort of changed now. So he brought so much more attention and popularity. Where I think, had I been, had I done what I had done then, and it was now, I think I might have had. A, I could have kept going as a swimmer, maybe, mm. but that wasn't available then. So I transitioned. I took like a year and a half off. Met my wife, my wife, my, my then girlfriend. We she got into grad school in New York, so we moved to New York City and lived there for a while and basically took a year and a half of doing nothing after swimming and then discovered triathlon while I was living in New York um, and was immediately hooked on that. I think mostly I was hooked on triathlon just because it let me keep on swimming. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I went to, I went to a, uh, my first triathlon um, and I hadn't even ridden a bike before. I borrowed, I borrowed, this guy I met, he loaned me a bike. Um, 
and you know, totally did not fit me at all. I had no idea what I was doing on it. Um, just Wait, running you trees. hadn't you hadn't ridden even before you raced on it? Yeah, I got it that day or the day before. <laughs> he, he he brought it. Hadn't been, I mean, I knew how to ride a bike, but not sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. It wasn't it wasn't a TT bike. It was just a road bike, so it's like I could figure it out. Um, but. You know, was, and I, I crushed the swim. I had prepped, I'd gotten back in swim shape when I was in New York. Uh-huh. Nothing like from in college, but I, you know, I went to this triathlon, and triathletes are historically not known for their swimming ability. Right. So I thought I, I thought I was tough shit. Crushed the swim, beat everyone out of the water by a couple minutes, and you know, was taking my time through the first transition and figuring out how to get on the bike, and you know, I made it out of transition, but mile one all the tt guys came flying by <laughs> um you know and the, that was the rest of the day but i was hooked on that and i think really i approached triathlon in a in a from it was that, that initial like motivation to keep to enter triathlon because I, it allowed me to keep swimming that that's i kept that i retained that spirit i think through my entire triathlon career i think i i always identified as a swimmer even even as i progressed in triathlon i I definitely over the years got got pretty good at riding the bike i got much stronger um i rode and trained with a bunch of cyclists around philly so i i I definitely got that introduction to, to cycling and got pretty good running i never really came into my own with um but but through all of that uh, I still maintain that like swimmer identity. Um, mm-hmm. It's still a big part of who I was, and that ulti- that really is honestly, it's not. That's not how to be the best triathlete. You can't you can't hang on to that single sport identity too much because it's just um, not the way to do it. Especially if if your single sport identity is swimming, because it just doesn't really have an impact on the triathlon. Um, but yeah, so then, you know, I, it was fun triathlon. I was a pro, uh, I think I had a pro license for eight years. Um, I was, after that first triathlon that I rented or borrowed a bike, I, I finished, I was pissed off that I got beat. And I remember talking to my wife, I was like, I'm doing this, I'm going to be a pro. And it was like, right from the beginning, I, I knew that I, it was something I wanted to dive into. Um, so I turned pro maybe a year later or so, a little bit later. Uh, and it was fun. I never really got a few sponsorships along the way and um, ultimately never really resonated. I, it was like triathlon was um, – I never felt like a triathlete, I guess. Maybe it was because, like, I was still identifying as a swimmer. Mm-hmm. I, I just never really – got into it too much um and i never there's just something about it i think at the time athletically i I just didn't feel as though i was very good at it and i mean now hindsight's 2020 but given given what i've discovered now racing on zwift that i'm a sprinter that's like the key to my success um it, the like why I'm good at Swift is because I can sprint really well and I can like anything up to one minute around a minute effort is like what I'm great at. And that makes sense given my background as a swimmer. Cause that's sort of what I did. That was the effort I put in, in swimming. Um, 
but triathlon was like forcing me to do everything I wasn't good at, like long, <laughs> un, like low threshold, below threshold work. And it just never really clicked. And I, but I didn't, I didn't know it at the time. I just was this sense where I just wasn't, wasn't being like my best athletic self through triathlon. And that just always was frustrating to me. Um, so, yeah. So, so yeah. Fa- fast forwarding then as you, discovered Zwift and this was I mean you just brought it up this is a question I had is I couldn't help but realize that there, there are these stark differences between um, a triathlon and what which distances were you doing like Olympic distance or um, for triathlons in triathlon yeah yeah okay. yep. so I was uh, I did them all I started an Olympic distance and then went up to Ironman I tried everything I think I was probably best at the Olympic okay so but yeah but those are um I guess you would call them endurance events, correct? I mean, they're, it's um, maybe Olympics a little shorter, but uh, Ironman is definitely an endurance event. And then now um, on Zwift, I, I feel like some of these races are more like uh, crits, you know, the, the kind of power you're putting out um, and uh, like at threshold or beyond threshold the entire time. Um, and you said that's kind of like what was a, was a journey of self-discovery for you in terms of how you are as an athlete. But how did are you did you have to like totally change your training in terms of this is what i'm training for or was it just a oh this is who i am as an athlete as i'm starting to uh race on swift i think it's a ladder it's like i discovered who i am as an athlete whereas like whereas triathlon was trying to train myself to be something that i was not <laughs> this okay. long long distance endurance athlete um, well, I think that experience really, um, I think there's certain things that I gained from that triathlon experience that are now relevant, um, to Zwift. Uh, ultimately it was something that wasn't ever, I, w- I was never going to be a, a, a stellar long distance athlete. The Zwift effort is very similar to, to swim training. Um, not swim racing, but swim training. Um, the workouts that I would go through for swimming were an hour and a half of super high intensity intervals every single day, sometimes multiple times per day with, with a couple hours rest in between. And when you got done with a single workout, you felt as though you could barely get out of the pool and you could barely walk. And then you recover for four hours and then go do it again. And that, that, is like almost identical to what we do in Zwift racing. It's a, it's, it's actually Zwift racing is not as hard as, as swim training. It's, you know, the, the Zwift race is like 45 minute. It's under an hour. Typically it's very rare that we go longer than an hour. Um, and like you said, it's sort of like a crit. I, I, I've never raced a, I've never raced a, uh, cyclocross race, but I, I hear that the effort's comparable. It's like sure. really punchy, you know, um, when you, if you have a, if you have a great one minute to five minute, um, effort in you, you're going to be great at swift. Um, and if you can do a big sprint, you're going to be really good at swift. Um, that's, that's what it's all about. Um, so yeah, the, the triathlon experience, I think, um, was less relevant, even though it seems like it should be like, it seems like it should be part of like this with success. It's not at all. Um, other than triathlon sort of taught me 
how to ride with efficiency. Um, so that's what I focus on. I, there's had a, I guess, uh, I mean, particularly for being a sprinter, like I'm never trying to go out and go as hard as I can in a Zwift race. I think some people do that. They try to like compete and outwork the competition. And that just seems silly to me. And so I'm always trying to go as easy as I can and, and then sprint uh, or strategically go hard. Uh, and that to me sort of feels like a triathlon thing. Cause you, you, that's what triathlon is all about. You're trying to do as little effort as possible, mm. um, while going the fastest you can go. Um, so, so if triathlon taught me anything, it's that, and, you know, I've sort of synergized all of that into Zwift racing now. So you start Zwifting, you start Zwift racing and you kind of get connected with a, with a team. But then how does that develop into becoming the Zwift national champion? Um, for 2019, yeah. is that you're the 2019 Zwift national champion? How does that, how do you, I mean, I know a lot of people that Zwift race, but uh, I don't know any Zwift national champion. I do now. <laughs> how does that develop yeah. into that? So in 2018, Zwift held the first Zwift national championships. And I did that race and I was completely unprepared for it. Now, um, I, I don't mean to interrupt, but did, did you have to uh, uh, qualify? How did you even get into this, oh, got it. The, the initial uh, yeah. race? It was, you know, it was open, open to everyone, open okay. to anyone okay. who's with us. And they just sort of promoted it and, and announced when it was going to happen. Uh, they said, that, that, you know, the, here's how it's going to, here's where it's going to be in 2018. Um, so I entered that race and I hadn't really actually done a lot of racing prior to that. I just saw that it was there, jumped in it. And it was a course that went right up the volcano, like really quickly I, I, within like the first 10 minutes, we went up the volcano and, and there was a couple laps of that, but I got dropped the first time up the volcano and I was, I was furious. I was like, this is ridiculous. I got dropped on in the national championships within the first 10 minutes. So I remember texting with a friend of mine, like right after it was over, how I was so pissed off that I went to the national championships and got <laughs> dropped immediately. So, uh, and I texted her and said, "Next year, I'm gonna, I'm coming back and I'm gonna, I'm gonna win the national championships <laughs> next year." And I did. It's so great. It's so funny. <laughs> and it's funny. In 2019, I texted her immediately after it was over, and she remembered when I had texted her. It was, it was really funny. But anyway, <laughs> the second year in 2019 is sort of a similar situation. It's just Zwift hosted it. Um, put it on and promoted it and it was open to everyone. So you, you could just join it. 2019 was a little bit bigger globally in that they had more countries participating in, and had a national championship in, in different countries. 2018, there was like, I want to say there was like six different countries around the world who sort of simultaneously on that same day held a, a national championship. 2019 expanded. Um, and, uh, and and it was it was amazing. So it's just like this open promotional thing. Um, I joined the indoor specialist squad just a few weeks prior. Really, um, I hadn't been on a team to date, and the national championships was like one of our first biggest races together. Um, we all were still sort of getting to know each other at the time. 
Um, but we were predominantly an American team. Most of the guys were American. So we got into the race and we were, um, you know, one of, we had, we fielded one of the biggest teams in the race. So I think we just really had an advantage. Um, we were all fairly experienced athletes, former, former pros, a lot of guys who had a, a lot of understanding around race tactics and, um, and at that point, we all raced on Zwift en- enough to be, you know, fairly well adept at, at, at how to race. Um, so we all, we just went into it, planned out the experience. And really our strategy was, since we were all getting to know each other, it wasn't like, I'm the, I'm, uh, it wasn't like Holden's the sprinter, so we're going to work for Holden. Um, it was like, I remember we, we had a Google sheet going around and everyone just, listed wrote on the on the google sheet like what what our best move was like what our winning winningest move was um or or what 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 each person would want to do to try to win the race and we all just went out and we all tried to win the race so we all just had like the sense of what what each other was going to do and um uh, and tried to support each other as best as we could we had some guys who felt as though they could do a you know a an earlier break, do a big five minute effort. So they were going to try to get away with like, you know, five minutes to go. A couple guys that wanted to do a long range sprint, like a minute bomb for the line. And that happened. They, they tried that in the race. And my best tactic was to sit and hope for a blob group sprint coming into to the line. And that's ultimately how it played out. So I won it. It was cool. Let me, can, can I ask about Zwift Power a little bit? Were these national yeah. championships um, regulated under Zwift Power as well? Or is that, it's, I don't, I don't, I'm not too familiar with Zwift Power, how long that's been a thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, it was, so they were. So the results were, um, I think that actually the, the best way to, to, to define the first two national championships, 2018 and 2019. I would classify them as being like test championships for Zwift, almost like beta races. Uh, and, and they were trialing things out ultimately to get to where 2020 national championships are, are going to be, assuming that everything moves forward as planned, you know, post-COVID, if that day ever comes. The original, the original plan was in 2020, there was going to be a more fully validated and sanctioned national championship that was then ultimately going to be a qualifier for world championships. And world championships in 2020 is is a, going to be a UCI sanctioned race and will literally award a, a rainbow jersey to the winner. So like uh, the first first ever. And that that's the structure that ultimately is was is planned now in the future, very much, you know, mimicking what happens in real life um, is yeah. as you prepare for a national championship. So it'll likely be a qualification process to get into nationals that none of that's been announced yet. Um, but 2018 and 2019 were just not as strict and sanctioned from that capacity with the exception of, um, uh, there is some oversight. There's a group called ZADA, Z-A-D-A, which stands for, uh, Zwift, uh, accuracy and data. I'm not saying it right. Z-A-D, Zwift accountability 
data accuracy. I don't, I don't know what it is, it's sure. something like that. But they they basically are, you know, a, a WADA-esque regulatory board. They're separate from Zwift altogether. No one really knows who's on that board, but um, uh, at least from the racer community, we don't know who, who's a part of it. But after Nationals, the podium winners plus two random riders are asked to submit lots of data and and communicate information to this this governing body called zada they look through your data and ask you to do some tests um like go outside and ride try to prove yourself go race uh, go try to set a strava kom outside ride on a couple different power meters try a different trainer etc so all of that happened after um nationals last year and that was like that actually took like two months to go through and that 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 was the verification process um zwift power is a also a third-party website um from zwift they're very closely connected to zwift and uh, it, it they're there, there is some like validation that happens through Zwift Power, but more than anything, it's like a Zwift race results database. So everything to do with like your your historic data is all like aggregated in Zwift Power. Um, so it's the de facto like results page, um, and it's less to do with like verification. So in terms of verification, then, um, I guess in 2019 and, and now, what kind of uh, extra gear or or extra things do you need to be sure that you are um, verif- verified? Yeah, it's kind of, it's um, it's funny. I was just uh, just this past week thinking about all of this because there's um, Zada and Zwift has just recently updated their verification procedures uh, and they've gotten even more strict. Um, I think uh, our team uh, has been really, uh, I think, influential in trying to trying to uh, motivate the community to, to be more transparent with their performance verification efforts. Um, so we sort of proactively do as much as possible um, to be like open and, 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 and prove ourselves, so to speak. So what we do now, some of the things we do a lot, um, we video live, take live videos, uh, weighing ourselves. And there's a very specific protocol for how you do that. Okay. Um, and that happens prior to every single, um, sanctioned race that we do. So we, we shoot this live, live video, um, and submit our weight. So that's a really important piece because like weight doping on Zwift is like a a problem. If you enter the wrong weight, even by a couple pounds, it's going to really significantly have a, have an influence. So we weigh ourselves all the time. Um, we also will stream live record our races themselves. So while we're racing, we'll videotape ourselves like doing the effort. (laughs) So you can actually see us doing it. Um, we also have at least two power meters that we ride with. Um, you know, one of them being like a smart trainer and then another power meter that's on the bike, either pedals or crank based. Okay. Uh, and we record both of those power meters 
on two different devices. So it's like um, a dual or triple recording. And, mm -hmm. and then, you know, that allows us to compare those two um, recordings to one another, just to sort of double verify. Um, uh, so that's another thing. We have out, outdoor data, like in real life data that we go and, um, you know, put up certain thresholds, a, a sprint, a sprint effort outdoors, a one minute, a, a five minute, a 20 minute, um, record that and try to hit, you know, certain, try to record them on Strava KOMs as well, outdoors whenever possible to sort of compare ourselves to other riders. Um, so we have all of that in real life data that we, that we have. So it's not like a one and done sort of thing where here we're, we're verified and, um, there's just lots of ways, lots of things that we can do to, to help, um, support this. And it's not a perfect system by any means. Oh, the other piece is, um, lab testing, uh, which Brady did for me last year, which is great. <laughs> uh, so a lot of riders will go to a, like a performance lab and get tested and do something like that. So, okay. um, really anything possible. We, we, we try to verify our performances and stuff. Yeah. Um, I'm assuming that the, that both these national championships that you took part in are there, you did them from your house or you did them from, from home, right? You didn't go to a, a central location and everyone was riding a trainer or is that correct? That is, yeah, it's, um, so yeah, both the, the national championships I, I did, from my basement and that's pretty much where i yeah. do everything well i i know um, i've seen i've seen different like zwift put up like they would put on uh events where people would come to a central place and be riding in a room but this is not one of these cases it hasn't historically been that i it mo moving forward for national championships coming up my understanding is that it, that'll change and it'll it'll be in a in a location where all riders are coming to one place um and, and i guess we'll that racing. yeah and i guess that that helps um maybe oversee some of all these details and variables um i don't i don't know what would they put everyone on the same type of trainer would they put everyone on the same yeah like a lot using the same equipment um to, to kind of negate a lot of those variables yeah, I believe that what that's that's what the plan is. Like have have everyone in the same room riding on the same the same brand of gear and um yeah, to make it as even as possible. Are you at all familiar um or keeping up at all with some of these other virtual like some of the world tour virtual races that they I know they did a Flanders and a I think a Tour de Suisse and that kind of, and and they're on different platforms, I know. Um I'm unsure if those are as serious or more so promotional races, but uh, do you have any idea if they were going through the same list of criteria to, cause I know that they were, a lot of these people were just doing them because they're quarantined. They're doing them in their living room or they're, you know, from wherever they were. Um, I'm not sure if they had to go through the list of, of everything that you are. I would say I'm not, I'm not positive. Yeah. I won't, I won't, I guess I won't, comment because i don't i don't know for sure what they were doing i have a hard time imagining that they could be doing everything that we do because they're um it took us three years to to figure out all this to you know to to understand what was actually needed 
Um, so for, for, for teams and, and riders to be jumping on the platform right now, um, because it's opportunistic time, um, I have a hard time thinking that they're really digging in too deep in all that. Um, but I don't know for sure. Um, and ultimately it, it doesn't matter. I, 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 you know, I, it's, it's awesome having all of these, all of these pro teams ride, ride and race. And I mean, we got invited to the red, virtual Redlands classic a, a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I saw that. Okay. Yeah, I mean that was that was incredible. We had to race like all these in real life pro teams, and um, we, we were pretty excited going in because we sort of had a feeling that we were going to be able to beat up on them pretty good <laughs> because <laughs> they're all new to new to Zwift, and I think there was just a real underestimate underestimate uh, what's the word? They were just really underestimating how significant the video game skill component of racing Zwift is. is. I mean, that's like, I would say it's like 50% of like performance on Zwift. It's nowhere near enough to just be strong on your bike and come and, and, and race on Zwift. You have to really understand how to play the game. And that just is something that takes a lot of time. So it's kind of fun having these guys come on and being able to be competitive with like these in real life pros. I got the I, I outsprinted Mark Cavendish a couple months ago. It's like, come on, I, I'm not. I shouldn't be. I shouldn't be outsprinting him. But he, but he has no idea how to play the game. You know, it's it's kind of fun. I mean, there, I mean, it's it is it is a game and tactics. But I mean, you got you have to give yourself a little bit of credit because I I, I was looking at the Redlands, um, uh, 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 the the stats of of when you uh, sprinted for Redlands and you outsprinted Corey Williams, who's a crit racer who's known for um, his big power. And it says you sustain like 16 Watts per kilogram for the winning attack, which is insane. So there is, of, of course, you know, the game, but then also, you know, uh, w- where within the game that you can succeed. Like racing, racing against those guys. I mean, I had a pretty big sprint. Um, it was not even, not even, it's, it's not, wasn't my best sprint um, by any means. I've gone much harder before but if you look at that race i look at the results and because and i'm saying this because it's kind of ridiculous to think that i can out sprint Corey williams i mean he's like he's national champ and he's a sprinter and he races a crit. <laughs> but i you know I, I i don't have any if we if i went outside and tried to race him there's no chance that i would that i would beat him um but you know the same could, is, is should be said like he's coming into my domain and to think that he could outsprint me is ridiculous. And there's, there's, no, there's, there's no chance. I mean, I look at, we look at, at the, when I compare my results to his, I had a bigger sprint than him, but only because I was able to ride so much easier and could serve so much more than he did. I mean, he, he is my average, you know, watts per kilogram for the hour is just considerably lower than his. And that's just all has to do with my understanding of the game and the tactics. He had to work super hard for an hour. It was an hour race. So he was beating the hell out of himself for an hour. And I was able to just sort of sit and chill until the last 15 seconds and then sprint. And that, that really makes all the difference. I think that that highlights just the, the, the importance of understanding the game and what you can do. It's, it's like, um, you know, on the one hand, you look at those power differences and you say, how can Holden, who's a 42-year-old dad and runs a 
runs an analytics company who only races in the morning before his kids get up. How can how can he be the a, a national champion who's you know who's known as a sprinter? And I think it's just it's just for those reasons. It's like it's uh, it's only a matter of time. And I, I hope like Corey Williams and the other those other in real life pros. I hope they stick around and keep on riding on, on Swift because it's like I, I'm not going to be ranked number one for very much longer <laughs> you know, it's, uh, but as soon as those guys figure out how to how to just ride with some efficiency they're gonna they're gonna be stomping all over you know, it, for sure is the efficient um, is, so, the, is anyway. the the efficiency uh as much to do with um your knowledge and uh and your experience but also the fact that you're riding with a team equally as knowledgeable and experienced yep and there my teammates are doing everything they can especially in that instance in redlands we had a very very concise plan that uh, that it was gonna we knew the course the course was crit city it almost always comes down to a pack sprint at the end um really difficult course for a breakaway to happen um so we knew it was all going to stay together anytime it stays together you know our best shot at winning is for me to win the sprint um so for the whole first hour i had eight Eight other, seven other guys or eight of us in the race so all seven of my teammates were covering moves you know trying to shut shut down attacks uh, and otherwise trying to keep the pace as, as slow as possible but it's like when i can go easier i'm gonna have a bigger sprint on the end so i was safe the whole time i had two guys who were sort of marking me and staying close just in case i needed a wheel or something and um, a couple other guys were chasing down tax and any time that happened. So we, we were very much working as a team and talking on, on, a, on discord the entire time. Um, and it honestly wasn't a very difficult race for me. I was just sort of relaxed for an hour and then I had to go hard for 15 seconds at the end. Um, yeah. yeah, I think, I think that, that really is helpful. And, um, there's no doubt that those pro teams in real life pro teams understand all those tactics, but I think, you know, executing those tactics, um, in, in a virtual environment is, it, it's not something that just immediately translates. Uh, it's just something, it's something that takes some, some practice and it's another one of those things I'm sure they'll, they'll figure out soon enough. So how often on a weekly basis, I know for Zwift, you can ride, you can race, uh, I don't know, every, every hour on the hour, basically. Right, how how right. often uh, in a weekly basis are you actually racing? Uh, I, so I only race. I don't do any, I don't do any training. Really? And, but, or yeah, it's, I, I mean, if I, if I don't race, if I do anything other than racing, it's cause I'm like tired and need a, need a rest day. Um, so I'll do like a recovery ride or something, but yeah, I usually race, uh, I would say four to five times a week. Holy cow. Um, yeah. So it's all the time. I mean, I, I'm already, uh, how many I've raced, uh, I think I just broke 500 races. Yeah. I've done 504 races since I started three years ago. Um, last year, I think I did like almost 200 races. I, I won 100 races last year. Um, so like it's all the time. It's almost, you know, almost every day I mean, it's, it's racing. Um, and yeah. And it's like you said, there's always something you can just jump on and do them. And, 
um, we've sort of, uh, especially since the team is is uh, mostly American and where most of the guys on the team are either East Coast or um, Central Time Zone. So we all are, it's convenient enough for us all to race in the morning. Um, and we also host races, Greg, through the producers of races. And we just have gotten lucky that since we're all on at that time in the mornings, um, the competition is pretty good. So there's pretty, some, some races are known and consistently week to week on the schedule and they're like more competitive than others. Um, and so we sort of do the same races every week. The courses change and, you know, competitors come and go. Um, but for the most part, there's like certain times and days of the week where we do, we, we do certain races. Um, and, you know, it stays pretty consistent that way. So, I mean, there, there is a pretty, you can track your training effect in that. If, if, if I know what my general schedule is going to look like on a week to week basis and sort of manipulate a little bit when I feel like I need to, to go, um, to go a little harder or go a little easier. You know, one thing I'm, I'm interested in is what now, I mean, you talked a little bit about what, um, the 2020, uh, Zwift national championship will look like, or leading up to a UCI world championships, but just in terms of like indoor racing and the indoor market from your perspective, what do you see the future for this? I guess, I guess I'll call it a market or a, an opportunity. I mean, where do you see this going? I think, uh, I, I, I think it's, uh, I think it's going to be huge. And, and ultimately, I think it's going to be a really exciting and uh, and stimulating format for bike racing. And I think it's going to be great for the sport of cycling in general. Um, you know, it, it's no different than you know how the, like how mountain biking is different than road biking is different than cyclocross it's different than track it, it's just a different discipline and um and and the format for how that the race is experienced is so compelling and so much more compelling than than the traditional race formats i mean there's certainly unique uh, it's a unique experience to go to uh, the Tour de France and spectate or to spectate the Tour de France on TV. It's, that's awesome. It's good media and it's a great experience. And, and, and mountain biking has some of that and cyclocross certainly has its own sort of unique spectator experience. Esports racing is really unique. It's got its own thing completely and really compelling in my opinion. It's if there's a live experience that is amazing i got to go see a a in real life zwift race right after like about like a month or so after nationals last year swift had like this promotion event in new york city and uh it was like there weren't a lot of weren't a lot of spectators there um but there was like five pros up on stage racing and they had you know like a projector screen showing the coverage and there were other other pros all around the world who were racing in that same race so you had like maybe 50 guys racing five of those 50 were in the room with us um there was like 
uh, there was, uh, I think Kristen Armstrong was there, like announcing. So the commentary on the race was all being produced in 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 the room with us, and it was like a music concert. That's what it felt like. Sure. So think, imagine like the experience of going to a music concert, where you are literally like I was in the front row, looking up at these pro athletes who were like you know beating the shit out of themselves on their bikes. I'd never seen I'd never seen a pro do that on their bike before uh, the, you know the only that you you only see that on tv you know where you, you and you don't it's not the same experience so a really compelling like in real life experience athletic event and then you combine that with what then can be like amplified and like the the, the media that can be generated from that experience to be consumed um you know, by, by spectators, it's so like, there's so much depth to, to, um, to, to how that the sport can be experienced. And I think there's just, there's no doubt in my mind that it's gonna just really explode. I mean, you look at, you, you, you know, another thing that's signaling towards the success of that is like what's happening in other esports. you know, like traditional video games where there's, you know, 16 year old kids who are pro gamers mm -hmm. and they're superstars. They make millions of dollars because they sell out arenas. And, and, you know, that this is the, if a 16 year old kid, no name kid can become like a, a an esports phenom for playing Fortnite or whatever they play. And like what, think of what, like, what, like, Sagan can do like sitting up on stage and seeing these Olympic athletes crushing uh, in a virtual race. It just is it, in my mind there, there's just, it's so much more compelling to see like actual athletes doing their thing. I, I just, it's an exciting prospect to me. Um, so that, that's where I think it's going. I think there's going to be more in real life competition. Um, and the pros who are like in the room contesting it are just going to become increasingly high profile. And and I think there's gonna there's gonna be a huge industry behind it. So I think it's gonna generate new revenues and sponsorship for the sport, um, and that just is gonna be good for everyone. Um, so yeah, I, yeah, I think that's that's on its way soon. I I see an interesting parallel between the growth of say uh, gravel cycling and the growth of indoor cycling, um, and maybe it's not so much in terms of uh, the the consumable experience, but more so like the participating experience of the riders. And uh, mm -hmm. the fact that um, me, an amateur cyclist, can sign up um, for an A race on Zwift and be riding with Jeremiah Bishop or someone, another pro or someone that, um, you know, it's that, it's that, that I can participate in the same thing that everyone is participating in. And it, and, and the level of um, the it's 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 easier to become in, um, be involved in that and and I don't have to have a, uh, a USAC license and I don't have to make sure that I'm I, I'm I'm riding through you know and I'm catting up through the the categories or whatever it's just an easier experience to get into it the same with uh, gravel cycling um, you just go to these events and you line up at the same line that uh, Ted King lines up at and and then also there's a huge safety 
um, aspect of it. And I know gravel has is, is become so big right now because it's you're out on these roads where not a lot of traffic. Um, there's not a lot of traffic and you have less of a chance of getting hit by a car, which is a very real issue right now. And um, you have virtually mm-hmm. uh, no chance of getting hit by a car when you're riding Zwift in your basement. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's another big reason it's, 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 uh, it's getting, or it's, it's just kind of exploding. Um, you know, one, one thing that you didn't bullet point or highlight, and I'm wondering as we kind of close as a, Last question. I so I've been I've been riding Zwift for like two or three years, but always as a, a winter training program to get me outside. I've been forced to race. I've been, I've been forced now to use it more because all the races are are non-existent. And I started Zwift racing for the first time just recently, and I was so surprised at how the competitive um, switch in my brain was turned on that I didn't expect. Um, because I, I never used Zwift for competition before. It was only just for training. As soon as I started racing, boom, this is a competition. And it really has, um, it, it really has checked that box for me as I'm not racing outside. And you gave a lot of bullet points why Zwift is perfect for you as an athlete. But one of the things you didn't say is, it's very competitive and it sounds like you are a very competitive person. Was that just assumed that, yes, this is a, a competition or are you really motivated by competition? And, um, is that pushing you along? That's interesting. I think, uh, I, I definitely am a, am a competitive person. I think competition has become less important to me now that i'm an old man uh, <laughs> the, the older i get i think it's part of it's part, it's i i mean i've always been an athlete i, I know uh and, and you know it's as you said the competition is sort of an assumption that it's there and it's part of like the motivation um but uh I, one of the first things i was talking about was sort of like how sport fits into my life now um i think when i was swimming and when i was a triathlete the focus on competition was really the only thing that I cared about. It was about like the path to winning always. And, um, I don't have that same feeling anymore. It's like, it's not, it's it's definitely there, I guess, but I don't really think about it that much. And I definitely get, um, get pretty pissed off when I, when I don't win something, especially when I feel like I should have, um, like where I, if I've made a mistake or, you know, if there's been an error, but I can't say that I wake up every morning and like drag myself out of bed. I mean, I'm, no, I'm usually up at like 4.30, 4.45 and then I go race at 5.30 or 5, 5.15. Um, and I, I don't get up that early to go like hammer because I want to win races. You know, it's not, that's not what it's about. I think, um, I think it's insincere to enter a race and not try to win. That's like the whole point of being there. And I, I like expect my competition to be doing the same. Um, it's like, that's why we race. So I think there is like an assumption that competition is a part of it. It's definitely not, not, uh, not even close to being like the motivator for me, um, in the same way it was in the past. I think if it were absent though, um, you know, 
there's no way I would be riding around on Swift. I mean, it's like um, the the fact that that's there, like the com- the competitive element is there, is is what what allows me to do this and sort of keeps my interest. So I, I guess from that perspective, it's important. I, I don't um, I don't know. It's just it's odd. It's not it's not the primary driver anymore for me. Sure, sure. Um, can you tell us real quick about, uh, the bike you ride? And I heard the story that you hold it down with weights so it doesn't move around. Can you tell us real quick about that? Yeah. And you know what? I just, I just, uh, yesterday, actually over the weekend, I added, I built like a frame for it. So, cause I just got tired of it bouncing all around. Cause yeah, it, it moves around a lot. So I've I completely anchored it down to this big wooden frame now. But, um, yeah, it, I've got, so I ride a Saris H3 direct drive trainer, which is awesome. I've been through a number of different trainer brands, um, and I broke them all, all, they all broke. And like that, that's like, I'm kind of, I'm a, I'm a bigger guy, but it's the equipment breaks mostly because like, it's still such a new sport, but that equipment wasn't built with like this sport in mind it was meant for you know the trainers were built to be these supplemental like accessories to outdoor cycling it's like people rode them and they did steady state intervals on them they did sprint and try to kill themselves (laughs) on their on their trainers so the hardware just isn't there yet to to support like the type of competition that we're putting into it with the exception of the saris the saris is is like a beast it's really heavy it's super well built so it's already out of the box it's super strong and it's really well suited for indoor sprinting in my opinion that's why i'm so attracted to it the saris is subsequently is is also a sponsor of my team and that was kind of purposeful because we i went around and found all these trainers that just were not capable of supporting what we were doing and with the exception of Saris who we 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 all loved that Saris and then ultimately went out and asked them to partner with us and they've been an incredible partner of the team so it's been great so we ride the Saris H3 trainer um and even though it's already heavy out of the box I need some more weight to keep it down so I've got um over 100 pounds and like dumbbells that I rest on the legs to try to keep it from moving and even even that isn't enough. Literally there's like, so I had to, it still moves and I had to build this whole frame for it to lock it down in place. Um, uh, the bike itself is, uh, I've tried a couple different frames. I had, I thought for a bit that like an aluminum frame would be a, would be more appropriate for indoors and a carbon. Um, because, uh, I didn't want to like crack a carbon frame inside. I thought maybe aluminum would be a little bit better, but I couldn't have been more wrong. I, I the, the aluminum, I bent, I bent the seat stay like re, like it, it really quickly on, and the carbon is much better. The carbon has been great. So I have an Argon 18 bike right now, and I'm gonna we we uh, we the team just um, formed a partnership with the Pros Closet. We're gonna be getting an, uh, I'm gonna be getting another bike pretty soon i'm sort of going through a testing process to okay um to find a better bike but yeah it's it's indoors only so i don't i don't ever take it off the trainer it doesn't have any brakes on it it's got di2 so makes it super easy to build up and um yeah um yeah it's fun what is your opinion on like are they called rocker plates or 
rocker. Yep. Um, yeah. What's What's your opinion there? I mean, it doesn't sound like something that you'd be interested in, but yeah, I think um, so. A couple of guys on my team have them, and they swear by them. Okay. Like, right. I have one. I actually have one because Saris makes one. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, and I, I've ridden a couple times, and uh, it is like it's a skill. You have to. You, you can't just hop on it and um, like out of the gate ride it correctly. In fact, like the default state that mo- most people, when they get on it, they ride it incorrectly and it's like a significant power loss. But if you ride it long enough, you can figure out how to, how to balance and time it so that you're like, um, putting like cross directional torque into it sort of where like you're pulling the bike towards you and, um, sort of pulling the, your weight into that, that force. So it's, it's a counterbalance. Um, and that takes a little skill to nail. So from that perspective, if you're racing on it, you've got to like, it's one more thing that you have to deliberately think about from a, from like a skill perspective in order to make sure you're doing it right. Otherwise it's going to be, it's going to come at a performance cost. Um, a couple of the guys on my team have been riding it for like two months now. And they, they have said that they don't really even think about it anymore. They feel as though it can, it might even be giving them a little advantage because they can like, um, they can like get that, get more power out of that, that cross leverage, um, the counterbalance from it. Uh, but yeah, I'm not, I haven't really, um, committed to it yet. Sure. Sure. So what's next for you? Are Is there a, a, a specific indoor season for you? Or are you just, I mean, I know you race basically every day or, or four or five times a week. Um, are you still, are, are you assuming that national championships is going to happen and you're kind of working up towards that? Or what does the future hold for holding? Yeah, yeah I think there, the, I'm assuming the national championships is still going to happen. I think there, I, I would, there there's probably maybe some modifications from it, but the last I've heard, there there hasn't been like an official announcement, but it's been sort of some leaks that have suggested that it's going to be in the fall. The idea is that there will be some sort of qualification process to get, to actually get into the nationals this year. So it's not just going to be an open free for all where anyone can race. It'll be, you have to qualify to even get in. And then after, after nationals, depending on performance there, um, you know, the path, that's the path to world championships. Um, so that is on the back of my mind. And even though it hasn't been announced and I have no idea what it's going to be here, um, I'm just going to keep on going and try to keep on getting stronger and stronger until I hear about when that happens in the meantime, um, where there's been a lot of, um, like new pro-am races that have been happening. And these are like sanctioned races from Zwift. There's sort of two, two tiers of racing. There's just like the community racing where, you can get on Zwift at any time and enter a race and you can race whatever you want. And then there's pro-am races that Zwift actually hosts and creates. And those are invite only. They, they um, have prize money and they only invite certain teams and they're definitely promotional in nature. They create like they broadcast them live and create a lot of media around them. Uh, but there's been a lot of those lately. Um, and, uh, at least one a month, I would say they have those sometimes a lot more. 
there's a new series that's coming up that's starting towards the end of this month that I'll be in. Um, so I'm going to do I that. Uh, the Redlands race was sort of falls into that category. Okay. And, um, the pro- promoters of the Redlands are going to be hosting a virtual tour of the tour of the Gila. Okay. Um, that's going to be coming up later this month and I'm going to be in that. Um, so just sort of responding to those are the priority races. The invite only pro-ams are, um, definitely what we sort of anchors the, the focus of our team. And then in the long term, we've got nationals, and world champs, which, um, hopefully, hopefully I can keep on being competitive. That, I mean, that, how awesome would that be <laughs> to go to world championships? Oh uh, yeah. That would, that would just be incredible. I, I, I can't, I can't even imagine. That would just be a lot of fun. I'd love to do that. Yeah, Holden, thank you so much for uh, joining us and, and, and your time, kind of giving us a little insight into Zwift racing and, and all of this. Super cool. Um, I, I agree with you. I think that this has a lot of opportunity and potential. Well, it, it's, already, it's already reached potential, but um, it just has a lot of opportunity for the future. And uh, I think it's a real option for... Um, not just training, but for a lot of people to, to, like you, race at a super high level. So really appreciate this. Thank you so much. Thanks, Trevor. This is great. I appreciate it. Good to chat with you. The Dirty Chain Podcast is a Michigan Midpack Media production in partnership with KOM Cycling, the source for your bike accessories and necessities. Connect with us on Instagram and Facebook at Dirty Chain Podcast. Email dirtychainpodcast at gmail.com or call our hotline at 616-522-2641. If you are enjoying the podcast, please leave us a rating and review on whatever platform you use to listen. Audio editing and original music by Trevor Gibney. Sheldon Little handles the social media, graphic design, and of course, bad decisions. Thank you again to Holden Camo for joining us for this episode. And thank you all for listening to the Dirty Chain Podcast. And as always, keep your chain clean. But get your chain dirty. We'll see you in the mid-pack.